Welcome to White Wellness. I am your host, Tabitha. Today is April 26, 2022, Tuesday, broadcasting out of New York for White Wellness Radio. That song right there was Lana Del Rey with God and Monsters way back in 2012. Hard to believe 2012 was a decade ago, especially given how far the, quote, smartphone or the advent of that has come in the last decade thought it was an appropriate song for today's broadcast because we are going to be talking about spirituality, a little bit about religion, but mainly more spirituality, if anything, because really that's what we had before the advent of religion, which really is a, a program. I believe that that word religion comes from the Latin word religare, meaning to reel in, and well, that's what religion does. So the title of today's broadcast is Rooting into Our Sovereignty. First, the word of the week, or the word of every two weeks, or I think it's been 12 days since I've done a live show. Last live show was from Trauma to Treasure. I hope that was enjoyable. 
And today is kind of, a, I guess, a special broadcast. Every broadcast, I guess, has its own little special flair. But today we're going to be talking about really the roots of our spiritual traditions and how they are essentially, not essentially, they are very much ours. Of course, they've been kind of reappropriated and repurposed um, via the Dravidian race, but these are our spiritual principles and practices. And essentially, they're really just Dharmic practices that really, I would say that every Gentile, for lack of a better word, not a real big fan of that word, and I like saying that word better than saying non-skexis because I don't want to put the emphasis or the oomph or the onus on them, you know, they. But essentially, that's what people were practicing before the advent of uh, Abrahamism. But this is our tradition, essentially. I believe that we are the oldest uh, race on the planet. So here's the word of uh, the week. Very uh, apropos, I just randomly picked this, but here we are. A vampiriarchy, V-A-M-P-Y-R-A-R-C-H-Y, a vampiriarchy. Derisive description from the 1820s for a parasitic group of politicians. Vampire entered the English language in the 1730s from the Slavonic words such as Bulgarian vampire. That's the word vampire minus the E. Myths about vampires were abundant in Europe, especially its Eastern religions. And of course, we know that the Ostjuden, the Eastern European Jews, have a long history of being in the Eastern regions of Europe, more notably known as Eastern Europe, hence Ostjuden, Eastern, you know, East, um, Eastern European Jews, part of the um, Ashkenazim, by the way. In earlier times, pronouncing someone dead was so often the result of guesswork that a device called a Bateson's Belfry was sometimes installed in coffins. It could be wrung from six feet under if a deceased awoke unexpectedly after premature burial. Wow, that's uh, rather intense, but I would say we probably are living in a vampiriarchy right now. Um, there is a parasitic group. That's kind of you know, running the show behind the scenes, always blaming it on them, 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 them. And their favorite group, of course, to blame all of their ills on is no other than white supremacists, which, of course, don't really exist. Whenever you hear that word, if you're new to this type of um, thinking, always replace the word white with Jewish because there are no white supremacists. Uh, it's them doing it, LARPing. As us, it's kind of like how their whole thing about saying everything is being done by, you know, the satanic elite. It's the Talmudic elite. But this vampiriarchy, this is a very uh, appropriate word given the time that we live in, for sure. I also like to utilize the word Talmudiarchy. I think that's also very apropos because essentially... That's what we have going on in the world today. It's a Talmudiarchy. Of course, people like to use the word patriarchy, but I think Talmudiarchy is, is more appropriate. And I think when we say patriarchy, it oftentimes can get misunderstood and people will think that it's an anti-male or a misandrist sentiment. It certainly isn't. It's just that word has become, I don't know, just the thing that you call this kind of dominator style society which isn't necessarily dominated by men, but it's that kind of cutthroat Talmudic style of doing business where all that matters is the bottom dollar 
that's it. You know, it doesn't matter if a product is defective, if it has planned obsolescence built into it, if it harms people, none of that matters, just the bottom line. So essentially, a patriarchy is a vampiriarchy or a Talmudiarchy because it's really not about looking out for the earth, looking out for humans, the flora, the fauna, none of that. It's just about the bottom dollar, which of course we know that is the the worship object of the Skeksis. Uh, they are addicted to money. Not that money is a terrible thing. It's not a terrible thing at all. But the way they go about it um, really gives it its, um, you know, its distasteful or, or sour, sour feel, I would say. So that's the word of the week, vampiriarchy. Very, very appropriate given the Talmudic uh, parasitic times that we live in. All right, we've got some humans in the chat. We've got Josh, we've got Ranseric, and we've got Epiphany. Welcome everyone. Thank you for joining me for this episode, Rooting Into Our Sovereignty. So to start off, I want to read something that I wrote. Uh, it was a Telegram post. I think it was about last week or so. And it got a pretty good uh, exposure, actually. The channels are growing very nicely, which is really very fantastic to see because I consider myself kind of like a a niche within a niche within a niche, given some of the topics I like to talk about. I kind of don't fit in anywhere, especially with this, you know, quote, movement, which, I mean, I would suggest anyone listening to this who's a, an individual who's white, who who wants their life centered around, you know, white health and white interests to distance themselves from that movement. That movement is a snare. It's a honeypot. It's designed to fail. I think that that was pretty much the premise of it. And, you know, it was something that many of us kind of cycled through. You know, we did it and we're past it and now we're here. So here's a little something that I wrote that I posted on Telegram. And I think it's worth reading because it definitely works into the context of what we're going to be discussing today on the broadcast, Rooting Into Our Sovereignty. Where do you stand? There are really only two choices one must make as a human. The choice is between Abrahamic universalism or Sanatana Dharma, the eternal truth. Fake, processed, junk, quote, food or real, wholesome, ancestral food. Porn sex or tantric sex. Feminism in MGTOW or the sacred dance of the sexes. Fear of germs or embracing microbes as healers allopathy, other suffering, or supporting the body's biological programs, German New Medicine, anti-racism or racialism, transsexualism or sexual dimorphism, equality or designated roles, hyper-individualism based on click culture or real individualism based on creativity, metaverse or Aryanverse, globalism or tribalism. Overall, do you want to live in a Talmudiarchy or an ancestriarchy. Choose wisely, and your decision not only affects you, but your descendants, your race, other humans, and the flora and the fauna. So essentially, that's what it really is about. And that's really kind of going to be the shape of this whole show, just showing that we really have two choices. It's really a lens in which how we look through the world. And this whole thing with AI and the fear of germs this is straight Talmudiarchy, Zio sludge, Zog crud garbage. And if we believe stuff like that, we're going to be stuck in that Abrahamic belief system. Even if we have no interest in Christianity, we have no interest in any of the, you know, the trimmings of traditional Abrahamism, we're going to be stuck in that thought 
processes if we believe the snares, if we believe in feminism, if we believe in MGTOW. I mean, this is just crap. It's garbage. These are programs or programs that are invented by the enemy so we can fight, so we can become sick right? or, or you know, adapt or heal or whatever you want to call it. The, all of these are just divisive and perverted programs. So in the show today, we're going to be talking about how to get to the root of getting rid of all that miasmic Talmudic thought, that disgusting cloak that's been foisted over society for the last however many thousands of years and thinking from a way that is really Aryan thinking. It's one thing to want preservation of your race, you know, want, you know, in-group preference, all of these things, know the racial realities of the way other races behave on a whole. But that's just one part of it. Are we seeing all this via a Talmudic lens or are we seeing it through our lens, the Aryan lens, right? And I still see it all the time. People, you know, saying they're racial and all that jazz, but seeing stuff through, you know, the Talmudic lens, essentially, using like the Talmud as like a filter to see like literally everything that they're seeing in their life. I mean, I know we were like bathed in this and it's almost like the air we breathe and we all are coming out of it and waking up to all this stuff as time goes on. But as things progress in the world, I think we need some spiritual acceleration. People always talk about accelerationism and wanting to, you know, accelerate some of the physical things that are going on in the world. I think we really need to focus on spiritual acceleration because we need a fast track modality to really kind of get us on track to not hinder from our ideas, you know, our Aryan ideas and ideals, but also something that's going to help us peel back that Talmudic miasmic uh, dust, crud, sludge that's been covering us and our ancestors for essentially millennia. So I just wanted to start the show off with that little piece to kind of uh, set the scene as we go into more of this stuff with detail. All right, moving along right now. Oh gosh, and speaking of Zog, get a load of this uh, Zio sludge. I saw this today on, you know, when you go to your mobile and you type in... Uh, you know, just like discover and you see all the, the shit that they're shilling on there. So here's here's the newest uh, sludge that they're promoting. This is so lame. Israeli made, get this, Israeli made dietary supplement fights off viruses in lab tests, scientists says. So this is for all the people who didn't take the vaccine, but still believe in germ theory. And they'll think, oh, I want to fight off viruses, right? Maybe this is for actually like the Extian crowd who thinks like, you know, Israel is like this holy land for these, quote, holy people. Of course, nothing could be further from the truth. It's Palestine. They stole it. That goes back to 1917. Anyway, they're promoting this idea of this supplement that fights off viruses. So as we know, the fourth biological law of Germanic New Medicine microbes facilitate healing the less microbes we have because we've killed them either using herbs or antibiotics or vaccination or any other xyosludge medicine the harder it's going to be for our body to manifest a detox a healing an adaptation whatever you want to call it so this is for all the people out there who basically want to wipe out their janitorial system and still believe that microbes are the problem and if you have no janitorial system that means you have no valve, you have no soap or janitors to kind of, you know, sweep up your body. And then what happens? You end up getting addled with dis-ease. And that's the whole point of how these vaccinations work, right? And they're, of course, referring to it as an RNA virus. 
who the fuck knows or cares even what this is, right? All we know is that this is going to stop detox. That's why it's so important for everyone to understand that germ theory is a hollow hoax. It's the hollowest hoax of, I mean, it was disproven over a century ago, but it's like the hollowest hoax of this century because we have the whole AI thing. Of course, the hollow hoax is probably the hollowest hoax of the prior century. But if we're believing Talmudic crud, like microbes cause disease, we are seeing the world through the Talmud. We are looking through a translucent piece of the Talmud, basically trying to facilitate and understand what's going on in the world. That ain't going to cut it. It's, even if we think and we know about racial realities and all this other stuff, it doesn't matter because we're still seeing stuff through that darn Talmudic lens. I just figured I would mention this ridiculous story about, I mean, come on, Israeli supplement fights off viruses. I mean, come on, right? How many buzzwords are in this in this little thing? And it comes out of the times of, I should be calling it its real name, Yusrahel. And of course, by supplement, it doesn't necessarily mean herbs, like antiviral herbs. This supplement could literally have anything in it. Oh my God, maybe there's snake venom in it, guys, right? It could be snake venom. And just... The things that people are falling for still like two years later, it just shows that their head is, I don't know where it is, up their ass, not screwed on straight, just, you know, with their nose in the Talmud. I don't know what's going on, but I mean, come on. I mean, it's a bit late in the game, but you know, they keep on keeping on with these snares because people are Tom foolish enough to believe this absolute garbage. And they're just rolling on the floor, laughing their asses off as they keep on keeping on with all of this and people get feared out and they buy all these supplements and they believe, sorry about that, believe all this stupid garbage, just really tired of it, tired of seeing people argue these Talmudic talking points like they know what's happening when they really have not a clue what's happening. It's just, I guess it's, it's a, a slight bit disheartening to be honest, but... I mean, what can you do? You can't force an awakening with other humans. It is what it is, and and that's that's that, essentially. But it's just kind of disheartening to keep on seeing it over and over and over and over and over, and then people thinking that they're correct and still arguing these talking points when all they're doing is doing pro bono work for the enemy. That's it. And so many people are doing pro bono work for the enemy because they're not seeing things via the Aryan lens. They're still seeing things via the Skeksis lens, which uh, really has to go. Mo very, very, very much has to go. Let's take uh, a Gandhi. Let's see. Oh, we've got Snake Eyes joining us as well. That's great. Hello to everyone here. So yeah, just a bit of a wee rant. And Ranseric is right. Same shit, different uh, toilet. I guess he was, I guess OG was asking him how he was doing, but I think that expression right there is pretty much apropos considering what we have going on um, these days with other people. So there we are. All right. Moving right along with some other topics for the day. Hmm. What else can I say about this? Let's see. Oh, yeah. Okay. So we're really going to be talking about Dharma. The real definition, because so much of this gets stuck in like the new age style of things, you know, dharma, karma. We have all these um, ideas of what these things are based on the new age. And of course, the new age is a perversion of sanata dharma, right? The eternal truth. 
It would have to be because they would have to always co-opt everything. I'm waiting for them to co-opt Germanic New Medicine. They've already co-opted terrain theory with this thing called terrain germ theory. It's just a matter of time before they do this. We all know, right? It's just a matter of time. This is just the way it works. I mean, this is just the way things the way things work. Um, so, you know, they always have to co-op everything because, well, then the truth can basically be a controlled demo, and that's essentially what they want to happen. So to start this off, I want to actually play a little clip, and I also have some questions that people had asked, and I'm going to answer those too, but I want to play this clip. It's from actually a Red Ice interview from a little bit of time ago from 2017 and it's from this fellow who has this groovy channel who's on telegram it's called uh Sanata dharma and his name is sri dharma pravatarka achara and he basically preaches you know the original eternal path he's he's european like us it's basically natural law. The philosophy of Dharma is essentially natural law. And this is what we had, you know, in the world before the Abrahamic uh, filth religions came in and caused all these problems for everybody, which we're still living under, causing essentially six million problems. So he's talking to Henrik Palmgren about what, it, what this essentially is and how this is different from the Abrahamic religion. So I'm just going to play this little seven-minute clip just so everyone can kind of get the idea and we can paint the picture of how this works. Okay, here we go. How, how are they destructive in the same way? I mean, it's, what, I'm say, what I'm getting at is that Islam is a very, it's clear, you can see that very clearly, but what would you say how the others also are in very much destroying it in the same way, but it's maybe more, I don't know, mental to a certain extent than, than Islam. It's very physical, right? Yes, when it comes to Islam, yes, Islam basically is yeah, a very, very, very physical. But yeah, let's get to that in a second. I would like to get to the very root of what is Abrahamism, first of all, because there are many people who have heard this term, oh, the Abrahamic religions, and generally they understand that uh, the Abrahamic religions means uh, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, uh, but they don't quite understand what is the metaphys metaphysical significance of Abrahamism. So with your indulgence, if you don't mind, I just want to talk about this a little bit because almost no one has previous to my writing about this in, uh, in the Dharma Manifesto. And if we're going to understand Abrahamism, we have to understand what are the metaphysical underpinnings of this uh, worldview, for lack of a better term. Um, the metaphysical underpinnings itself goes back to the very name, Abraham. Uh, 4,000 years ago, roughly, more or less, uh, there was an individual who came upon the scene whose name was Abraham, and he brought about one of the first of these what I call ruptures in history, where the entire ancient world had been going in one direction, but now Abraham comes upon the scene, and suddenly the world is going in a radically different direction. But the question is why? And again, there are metaphysical reasons for why this is the case. Um, Abraham, as we know, for those individuals who are conversant with the Old Testament and his story, and I'm going to make this very brief, <clears throat> uh, when he uh, uh, traveled from Mesopotamia, which originally was indeed a Vedic city, a Dharmic city, uh, when he himself uh, traveled to the Levant, to what today we would call Palestine or Israel, uh, something very interesting happened. He encountered a being in the desert. 
And this being, uh, individuals who follow Dharma would consider to be what we call technically in Sanskrit an Asuric being. This was a demonic metaphysical entity uh, that has many different names, El or uh, Yahweh. Uh, later in Islam, this being came to be known as Allah. It's the same being. But when Abraham encountered this being, again, to make this very brief, this being made a covenant with him. This being made essentially a business deal. <laughs> One of the first demonic business deals in history with Abraham, where essentially he promised Abraham worldly wealth. Essentially, he said, all of this land will be yours, you will prosper, your sons will prosper, and for generations to come, the world will be yours if you do one thing, and that is worship me. Well, uh, followers of Dharma consider this, again, to have been a demonic being. And what was introduced at that time was several things that did not exist in history. First of all was the idea of, uh, to state it theologically, anthropomorphic uh, monotheism. That is the idea of... Uh, the divine being a very petty God. So what do we find? We find for the first time in history the concept of religious war. Now interestingly, previous to Abraham, there was no religious war. There were wars between religious people, but the idea of, oh, we have our religion and we're going to conquer your people with the idea that our God wants you to convert to our religion and if you don't, we will kill you, that did not exist previous to Abrahamism. So what we find throughout the Old Testament is indeed the bloody history of the Old Testament, of uh, the ancient Hebrew people uh, going from place to place throughout the Levant and quite literally slaughtering people and taking over. Well, we find the same mindset in uh, early Christianity. And with Christianity, I have to make a very important distinction um, because Christianity is a very interesting thing. Personally, I find a lot of inspiration in the person of Jesus, the person of Jesus, in his teachings, in his life, his life actions, etc., his personality, uh, his characteristics. Uh, I consider Jesus to be someone himself who actually rebelled against Abrahamism. Uh, if you read the New Testament, which I have many times, I've actually studied the New Testament under uh, uh, some of the world's best uh, theologians and theological professors, if you read the New Testament, it's obvious he was rejecting Abrahamism. He was rejecting the Jewish religion. He was rejecting the worship of, of Yahweh. And in fact, at no time in the New Testament does he refer to the God who he worships in these Old Testament terms. Rather, the only term that he uses is Abba or Father. So I consider Jesus himself to have been someone who rebelled against Abrahamism his reward was, of course, that he was killed, he was crucified. And soon after, his movement started to veer toward Abrahamism again, especially under Paul. That's why I make the distinction between Paleo-Christianity versus Pauline Christianity. So when it comes to Christianity, it's kind of a mixed bag. It's mostly Abrahamist, but its root core is not. The teachings of Jesus are Dharmic. So this is why, for example, you have such phenomena within Christianity as the ancient mystics, the Gnostics. Uh, you have individuals like St. Francis, who you look at these people, these are obviously not Abrahamists. But at the same time, the mainstream churches always saw these people with suspicion. So again, Christianity has been a tradition that has been schizophrenic, that has actually uh, had two trends within it. 
the main core has been Abrahamic, but then you have that mystical uh, realm that is non-Abrahamic. But now when it comes to Islam, yes, Islam is one of the tail ends. I wouldn't call it the tail end of the Abrahamic tradition, but it is one of those. And what Islam is, what I have termed it, has been uh, Old Testament religion on steroids. It is the idea of world conquest through the sword, the idea that, yes, it goes back to a very fundamentalist sort of Abrahamism, where essentially you convert to the worship of our God, this Yahweh, who in Islam they call Allah, but is the same being, or you die. That blunt, that simple, that black and white. So what we find in Islam is indeed the tail end of, uh, let's say, the devolution of Abrahamism, and seen in very stark form. But yes, again, all three of these traditions, Judaism, let's say mainstream Christianity, and Islam, all of Islam. I include Shia among, among this as well, and, and Sufi among this as well. These are all Abrahamist, and they are in every way the literal opposite of every other ancient religion on earth, what I call the Dharmic. So essentially, just to sum this up quickly, you have the Abrahamic religions on the one hand. On the other hand, you have the Dharmic religions. And when I say Dharmic, I mean not just Vedic, not just Vedic and Buddhist, not just Vedic and Buddhist and Jaina. I mean also the ancient European religions. I mean all of the nature-based natural religions of the world. You have all of those on the one hand versus the Abrahamic. And the history of the last 4,000 years has been essentially a 4,000-year war between Abrahamism versus the natural way. And obviously, for the last 4,000 years, sadly, Abrahamism has been winning uh, dramatically. That is about to turn around, however. Yeah, definitely. That's very, very interesting. You know, I, I want to hear more about this. I want to put this in context to, you know, the what we're facing now in, in modernity. There's so many things happening from, of course, the spiritual crisis that we're going through to the, uh, you know, refugee crisis and all these kinds of things that, that are happening now at this point. Uh, it's a global upheaval, basically, and, and you have, you know, wars on top of that. So there's much to discuss here, and I definitely want to go into detail in this in the second segment. But Okay, that was a little clip right there from Red Ice with uh, this fellow Sri Dharma Prabhakarta Yachara. And this is a clip from a video called Sanatana Dharma will save the West. So hopefully that was a good overview of what is going on in the world, how long it's been going on for. And uh, I hope what he says is true, that this miasma we've been living under for 4,000 years, the tide is going to turn. Because this is why people believe the shit that they do. This is why people believe that, you know, living off of junk food or living off of vegetation is sufficient. Race mixing is okay. Germs are real. You know, you know, you're dying by the sword if you don't convert, like they said about Pislam, like all this terrible, terrible stuff. And it's interesting that he said that there were no religious wars before Abrahamism. So this is really, this is the poison uh, on this planet. And of course, you know, we could say, oh, it's just the Skeksis. How many of our people or, you know, other, you know, other races who are non-Skeksis believe this garbage, right? So it's not just that's the problem. Like, yeah, of course, that's a problem. But 
the real problem is this this uh, Talmudic, um, unnatural, undharmic ideology of Abrahamism that's brought us all these modern day pogroms like veganism, atheism, the new age, feminism, MGTOW, germ theory, all of allopathy. I mean, just the mind control of the media. I mean, all, all of these hoaxes, like literally every hoax out there has, I believe, its roots in this Abrahamic style of thinking, right? This lack of respect for, you know, other humans, for the earth, for the flora, for the fauna. That's essentially what Abrahamism is. And I agree with what Josh is saying in the chat. I personally do not take anything in the Bible as being historical. However, what people have worshipped throughout the years has been pretty damn evil. Yeah, I agree with that. And of course, you know, in the case of Christianity, there's so many different denominations. I mean, many of you listening know that I'm not a fan of that religion. Of course, you know, some some forms of it, I would say, are way more deleterious to the health of the planet and to the health of, you know, our our people and just, you know, all the beings that live on this planet. But, I mean, it's not an Aryan way of thinking, unfortunately. Even if we want to spend all the time in the world saying, oh, no, JC was white, you know, he had blonde hair and blue eyes and stuff. Like, I don't really think that gets us anywhere at the end of the day, even if that was true. And I, I personally think that JC was a real character. I, it's just a myth of a prophet who had an immaculate birth, just like Horus, just like Mithra, you know, Buddha, all of these, all of these people, you know? I just think it's it's really, we're not thinking in this Aryan frame of mind. We're not thinking in the ways of natural law, the ways of Dharma. That is the real fucking problem. And Rensarek is right. It's this religion, which is the true virus of this world. This is the problem, this type of thinking, this stinking thinking. This is just, it's shit. Like you have to have shit for brains to think this is a good way to think essentially. And that's not to insult anyone. Cause I mean, honestly, I would say probably every single person who's listening to this, you know, who grew up somewhere in the industrial society, we all were born into these beliefs, right? We didn't know it. Our parents didn't know it. Our grandparents didn't know it. It's just what was, right? I'm not just talking about religion and, you know, making your communion and making your confirmation. It's not just that. It's our entire worldview. That's just one segment of it. And people can break away from that. You could have broken away from that religious stuff when you were like 15 years old. It doesn't matter. It's still the perception of your worldview, right? Epiphany is saying, Extians are only Extians because their ancestors were converted by the sword. Yeah, absolutely. People always seem to forget the brutality of the Inquisition. How many of our people were like converted by the sword? You know, you become Extian or, you know, you're done. We kill you. So, I mean... Wow. I mean, imagine like your faith is based on the fact that like your family was going to be like basically killed if you didn't like, you know, believe this like sludge Abrahamic belief system. Terrible. Rensarek is saying, I went to Catholic school. Best thing ever showed me, uh, showed me it, it want, want for, wasn't for me. Yeah. I mean, I would say with my very small um, experience. I didn't go to Catholic school, but I, I was making communion like back in the eighties and stuff. And I remember reading this book. It was like this little picture book and they were talking about the JC character and like saying he was from the Middle East. And I'm thinking like, I don't care about some guy from the Middle East. I'm like, weren't my grandparents from Europe? I'm like, what does this matter? Like, who cares about this? Right. And then they tried to give me Oreos and feed them to me. And I was like, you know what? There's no way God is here. You know, whatever, 
I thought what God was at that point. I wasn't even thinking God was like a person, just like an energy. And I'm thinking like, there's, there's no godliness here, you know, if they're going to be feeding me something like Oreos. So that was pretty much, I never believed in it. Um, I just kind of went through the motions because my mom wanted me to go through the motions and she only made me go through the motions because her parents wanted me to go through the motions. So there it is. Josh is saying, but, but, but the church was based. <laughs> Don't you just hate that fucking word? I mean, doesn't based mean like low, like as in low vibration? <laughs> but Oreos are delicious. Um, I don't know. I don't really think they're that delicious. I, I was always more of like a Chips Ahoy type of cat than like an Oreo cat. Like I just always kind of liked like that idea of a cookie better. But um, hey, Oreos are vegan guys, right? So they're healthy. Just kidding. <laughs> Epiphany's saying Nutter Butters. Yeah, I would pick I would pick Chips Ahoy, Nutter Butters and Oreos if I had to pick um, an order. The only Oreos I ever thought were somewhat okay i don't even know if they make them anymore like keep in mind i haven't eaten this stuff in like years but they used to make these ones around like yule or like christmas time where they dipped them in like white fudge and i thought those were pretty tasty because i like white chocolate ranseric is saying when i was approximately eight my mom my mama told me that other religions were going to hell it was a little too hardcore for me i mean that's what a lot of us are taught if we don't believe in the guy in the sky we're going to hell. If we eat that cube of cheese or not cheese, filet mignon on Friday, we're going to hell. I mean, so much of this is based on the fear of if you don't do this, you're going to the fiery place. You know, you're going to the hot place, essentially. Josh is saying there is a regional brand called Craven that makes their own Oreos, I think, that tastes better. Maybe that's like the Hydrox. I don't know if that's a Northeastern thing, but they used to, I don't think they make them anymore. They're called Hydrox. They were like these other types of Oreos, but it was the same type of like, you know, chocolate uh, wafer cookie. Josh is saying, I grew up Protestant, non-denominational, and I spent three years as a Southern Baptist. I've seen it all. Yeah, it's um, my religious experience is, is pretty um, lean, I would say, but I did a lot of study of it when I was at university. I got my degree in philosophy and religion, so I did a good amount of study, not just in the Abrahamic trio, which really never appetized me. I took, I think, one class called Judeo-Christian tradition, like I had to take it. And then I was registered for a Islamic class. And then 9-11 happened. And I was like, Ugh. even though I kind of knew that what happened or the official story was kind of sludge, I still was just like, mm, I'm not taking this. It was an online class, too, before online school was really like a thing. This is I'm dating myself, but this was like 21 years ago. Hard to believe that I was in college at that point. But um, I mainly focused on the Eastern religions when I was um, when I was in college. But even those have been perverted by a lot of this Abrahamic type of stuff, even though, interestingly enough, many of the facets that our people like that are part of the Christian religion actually come from the Vedic religion of Sanatana Dharma, the eternal truth, which is the original path of our people. And as that fellow was just saying in that video, this Dharmic path of obeying the natural law was the way it was for humans up until the point that this Abrahamic uh, filth, zog, sludge, crud, miasma came and swept over everybody. So this is where we're at at the world, a couple of thousand years or a few thousand years deep into probably the biggest psyop of all time that has kind of spread it up all these little psyop mushrooms, you know, 
MGTOW, feminism, you know, all these things that have polarized people, made people mentally ill, you know, made people hate each other. I mean, remember, their big their big game is divide and conquer. It works really well. I mean, think about this, like our race has the least amount of racial pride, right? And the least amount of racial awareness. Not to say that we don't, we, we listening know about these things, obviously, but as a whole, the white race has the least amount of racial awareness and the least amount of racial pride. I blame that on Christianity. I blame that on, you know, Abrahamic thought in general, universalism in general. And guess who has the most amount of racial pride, the most amount of racial awareness? Blacks. So you can't really say it's an IQ thing, right? It's more of like a brain poisoning thing. And I think one of the reasons they stick so many of our old beliefs into Vedicism, from Vedicism into Christianity, is to appetize us on a deep spiritual level. Like I always think about all the soulful whites that are into yoga, that become yogis, that become yoga teachers, that are really into Ayurveda and Tantra. It's our lineage, right? I mean, I think of most of the yoga teachers I've met in my life are like soulful white people because I think on some level they're they're appetized by it. The same way many of our people are appetized by Christianity, even though that's kind of the opposite direction. It's, isn't it interesting? Our people think Christianity is like our religion, and in, in reality, Vedicism and yoga and Sanatana Dharma and you know Tantra and Ayurveda that's our thing, and we're appetized by that. But we think like some sixty-eight. IQ, some mudskin with a 68 IQ, like wrote the Rig Veda. I mean, it's a, it's a mind zoggling world sometimes. But yeah, I hope that clip was helpful. Um, I'm going to post a link for the entire uh, episode or the entire thing of that little thing that we just listened to, because I think it's a pretty important listen. It's only about, I think, I don't know, an hour an hour long that video but that was the best little snippet that i thought was appropriate appropriate for the broadcast but if anyone else is looking interested in looking into this in more of a deeper way i think you'll enjoy listening to that okay moving right along on this broadcast rooting into our sovereignty oh and i was thinking about this too i've had this like theory for a long time before oyed ai and that vaccination i've had this theory for a long time we already know that there's like monkey kidneys in vaccination and um you know renal tissue from like late term um abortions so we already know that there is dna from other races and species in vaccination i've thought for a while that maybe they're utilizing different vaccinations or different races sexes and ages especially with oedai with all the idea of like hey you have to have an appointment and all this you know speciality of like you getting this date and this is the day of your vaccination and all that absolute shit but I'm wondering, this is like, maybe I don't think it's out there. I think it's totally, I think it's totally possible, actually, because we already know, like I said, they're putting DNA from other races and species in vaccinations. You think of Rogam, for example, which is what they push on pregnant women who are Rh negative and, you know, lack, um, as I say, quote, antibodies, they lack protein on their blood because their blood has, has more purity. Uh, I believe that they're injecting coanim genes in the vaccination and they're trying to make everyone into an oive and they're doing it by vaccination. And also think about this, circumcision, right? Circumcision rates here in the States and I believe in Canada went up quite a bit after World War II, right? Most men born after World War II are circumcised, right? Most, not all. But the majority of people are, and the majority of people, or men, rather, I should say men, it's not women. Actually, ugh, that's on the rise, too, with all these 
all these Somalis and Ethiopians coming into America, that is on the rise. The female genital mutilation, just totally another topic, but it's Abrahamic regardless. So we know that this is part of the Skeksis Abrahamic religion vaccination, right? Because they believe in germs. They don't believe in natural law. They don't believe in Dharma. They don't believe in, you know, abiding by, you know, the biological laws of this land, right? They're always trying to violate that. So what would it be or how could it be that they would possibly put their coeningiums in vaccination? Completely and totally plausible, right? And in regards to circumcision, that's in their image, right? Because they're the ones that had that done to them. And of course, the original circumcision, according to the Bible, was done with a covenant between, I think it was, was it the Abraham character, the schizophrenic guy who was going to slice his child in half and, you know, um, Yahweh, G slash D. The original circumcision was just a snip or just a cut of blood. Now, of course, they take off the tip or the piece of the, the skin that goes over the you know, goes over the corona, that's the head of the penis, is called the corona, interestingly enough. So that whole piece gets essentially amputated, but this is to be done in their image, right? And think about this, what's the best way for them to hide in society if everyone's penis is snipped, right? Think about it. So these are parts of their religion. These are Abrahamic facets of society. Vaccination, where they can inject their genes into all, you know, all the earthly races, all the terrestrial races, and then they can make them in their image by circumcising them. Now, I was listening to a podcast the other day talking about um, being in your body and not being in this duality, because duality essentially is a state of disembodiment. It's that Abrahamic state where the body and the mind are skitzed, and that's what they want. That's what vaccination and circumcision does. It creates this schism. And men who aren't circumcised are more somatic. They're more in their body. They're more able to kind of talk about that connection. I mean, some might say, oh, that's a that guy is gay or he's too emotional. I don't think it's got anything to do with that. I think we're so used to seeing, unfortunately, men who are kind of hardened off from their emotions where their body and their mind is separate. And of course, this happens to women too. It's not just the guys who are suffering with this. But what I'm trying to get at is that this procedure that typically only happens to male humans in, in America and Canada, this skits is that bond of body and mind. And look, Abraham was schizophrenic according to the Bible. He was going to slice, or no, Abraham. Yahweh asked him to slice his youngster in half that's schizophrenia. That's a schism right there. So of course, they would promote as part of their religion, vaccination and circumcision, you know, to the goyim, right? And that I think creates this type of like duality, right? That's exceedingly disembody disembodying. And then this sets up people to see things through the lens of the Talmud, right? Think about it. I mean, I know this is a, a frustrating topic for a lot of people who have had this happen to them. I don't mean to dredge up foul, you know, moments in people's lives or anything like that. And to anyone this who had this happen to them, I'm sorry that happened to you. It wasn't, you know, anything I or anyone else could possibly do. Keep in mind that your parents probably thought they were doing what was best for you. They didn't know, unfortunately. But nevertheless, it's, it's happened, and, and here we are. We're, we all, we've all been fucked over by Zog. Whether we were circumcised or not, vaccinated or not, we've all been fucked over in some way, at least one way, by Zog, whatever it may be. But just kind of illustrating 
how we've gotten to the place that we've gotten to in society with these miasmic Talmudic ideas because we have these facets of the Skeksis religion, especially in the last 100 years where the rates of both vaccination and circumcision are through the roof, right? I mean, granted, they don't really do the circumcision in, in Europe, but a couple of years ago, there was this rabbi who was trying to like, I think, move to Iceland or something. Keep in mind, Iceland is one of the happiest places in the world. It's all white. It's cold, so we know it's not a weather thing, right? It's homogenous, you know, they eat really well. And this Oive was trying to infiltrate in there and saying that the Icelandic people were, quote, anti-Semitic because they didn't circumcise. I mean, imagine. I mean, this is this is the result of living under an Abrahamic uh, regime, whether or not people see it or not, is that you get called a, quote, anti-Semite for rejecting, you know, mutilating yourself, essentially. It's a zoggy world. I mean, I really hope that, that that practice actually has really been turned around. I think with OED AI, we've had a silver lining of many women not wanting to birth in the hospital setting. And a lot of, a lot of um, you know, new parents are hip to this, you know, this Talmudic ritual being really, really deleterious, um, deleterious long term, not just short term. So I think that Hopefully those rates are dropping. Um, I'd like to see the entire practice completely and totally abolished 100% forever. Uh, I think it's a terrible, terrible thing. And the fact that it's on the rise in this country with these African imports coming in, doing it to their female children is, is equally disturbing for me. And what's even more disturbing on top of that is that now since we have this like transsexual force in this country with all this crud with the fucking pronouns this is straight out of the talmud by the way there's like six or seven genders quote genders in the talmud this all goes back to their abrahamic religions their trio even if certain like pislong people are like they're very anti-transsexual they're very anti-homosexual it doesn't matter all this goes back to the talmud but in regards to female genital mutilation since we have all these transsexual lobbies here in America, they won't dare say anything about this female genital mutilation on little girls because transsexualism promotes genital mutilation. Again, all of this is Abrahamic. All of it is Abrahamic. And we have to eschew thinking about any of these things as being our traditions, you know, part of our culture. We have to clean our mind the best we can so we can only see like razor sharp Aryan ideas and values and get rid of all that gross Talmudic crap. Because the more we have a consciousness that's Aryan, we can see a shift, right? I mean, I know some people are like, oh, that's just new age thinking. Forget that. Like, how are we going to create any type of change in the world if we don't have a consciousness change, right? We need to have some type of consciousness change going on. And that involves seeing things from our perspective, our culture, our roots, our ancestors, our ways, not theirs, ours. And also spending time focusing on our ways as opposed to blaming everything on them, focusing on them. Who gives a fuck about them, right? We know what they're about. It's time to focus, sorry about that, it's time to focus on us, not them, us. Oops. Time to focus on us. So we're going to be taking a little break right here. I'm going to play us a song, 
and then we're going to be back for uh, part two of this uh, this broadcast, rooting into our sovereignty. I am your host Tabitha. We'll be right back after this uh, brief song.
And we are back. That was Mazzy Star, Fade Into You, 1993. I'm your host, Tabitha. This is White Wellness Radio, rooting into our sovereignty. We've got some groovy comments right here in the uh, the chat. Ranseric is saying, it always confused me as to why church last mass is inside, why not outside? Yeah, and why such a beautiful uh, architectural building would be promoting such um, anti-nature ideas too, right? And Epiphany is, is answering on something that I would essentially say myself, because churches don't believe that humans are a part of nature. No, they do not, unfortunately. Yeah, we've got some other cats joining us for this um, broadcast. Someone is saying, please play that song again. Uh, I'm glad you uh, enjoyed that song right there. And Country Girl is saying, Mazzy Star, not as big in the 90s as it is now. I know so many Zoomers that love this song. It's like popped out of nowhere. See, that's like quintessential Gen X music, I think, uh, Mazzy Star. But I guess all the Gen, the Zoomers now who who weren't even alive, I guess, really, when, what were the, what's the Zoomer generation? Late 90s to something. They're like finding all this stuff out now and stuff like that. So, yeah. All right. So we're talking about Dharma. We're talking about um, the original path of our people, Sanatana Dharma, the eternal truth, and all this really groovy stuff. And we're thinking about all the things that are Abrahamic and how we can toss off this uh, miasmic cloak that has been essentially, I would say, suffocating our people for thousands of years responsible for so many ills in the in the world today and this is actually very interesting just kind of the breakdown of the word so you get an idea of how many other you know cultures and races in the world who were basically had this dharmic worldview before the advent of abrahamism so in vedic you know sanskrit we call it dharma which is the most ancient in japan they call it do d-o and in China, they call it Tao or Tao. And Taoism is one of those, you know, religions that kind of didn't really get the Abrahamic treatment. And I think Shinto in the Japanese um, tradition is one of the ones that didn't. And I think of the Middle East and I think of Zoroastrianism. When I was at university and I was studying all these things, of course, with a concentration in the Eastern philosophies, really Aryan philosophies and um, um, just philosophy in general, I remember... Um, thinking to myself that I really always enjoyed more learning about the pre-Christian religions. I always seen that they had more richness to them. And what's very interesting is actually in Lithuania, they call Dharma Dharna. So it's essentially the same word, just the M, Dharma, it becomes Dharna. So as we can see, this isn't just some Dravidian thing where, you know, a bunch of Dravidian individuals who are part of the astroloid race, which is that race that's not Negro, but has very dark skin. They also have straight hair, so they couldn't be Negroes because Negroes, of course, have, you know, that tight, tightly kind of like woolly style of hair. Dravidians are from the astroloid race. That race has um, very low IQ, typically. Can they survive out in the bush and probably birth their babies and do all that on their own? Yeah, sure. But when it comes to creating this you know, amazing work of things like the Rig Veda and all of these, you know, books 
these were definitely the work of, of our people. So don't ever let anybody tell you that yoga is not part of your lineage. Yoga, Ayurveda, Tantra, all of this stuff is your lineage, whether you were raised in this or not. So, of course, Dharma is one of these words that gets thrown around a lot. There was a show like a oive type of sitcom years ago, Dharma and Greg. I mean, I, I didn't watch it. I like remember it. And like the individual that played Dharma was like, I think kind of like very like new agey, like hippie. And typically that's like the connotation we have for this, this word in, you know, in society. So it, it means a couple of different things. They say in Hinduism, it's really Vedicism as the cosmic law underlying right behavior and social order. So it's like this unwritten code of just natural law. Like we don't need 10 commandments to tell us not to do fucked up shit to each other. Do other people? Maybe, right? And it's also known as an aspect of truth or reality. So when we talk about the Dharma or a Dharmic path, it's a path that's rooted in truth or reality. And you really cannot say that about any of the Abrahamic religions. They're rooted in fantasy, delusion, schizophrenia, war, blood, conversion by the sword, mock cannibalism, misogyny, transhumanism with things like the Immaculate Conception, right? So you really can't say that about any of those things. And I'm not saying any of these things to turn anybody off who's who's on that vein of, of thinking. I'm just stating the truth, right? It's just like when I was doing that show about Germanic New Medicine and I, I was talking about, like, I'm not saying these things to offend people. It's just about, really, it's just about taking responsibility and seeing things through the lens of truth or reality, which seems to be a really difficult thing nowadays, especially with people believing realities out there that are completely and totally, like, false, like believing in the whole Oyedei Psyop, believing in literally any type of thing, like, uh, you know, the Skeksis system puts out. Like, here's the newest one white nationalists believing that, you know, Elon Musk has their back because he supposedly purchased Twitter. I think Elon Musk is a transsexual Jewish actor. Um, I don't give these things much thought. The guy, whatever girl, it, they, who, who, who cares, whatever, they, zer, whatever word these people are using these days, has no brow bone. Uh, to me, it looks like a woman on testosterone. And uh, I think it's an oive as well. It looks like an Asiatic oive to me, just like Bill Gibbs, you know? So this is obviously just, you know, kosher theater to get these people who were still stuck in the bowel movement thinking like, oh yeah, you know, now I could post whatever I want to post on Twitter and like, you know, Elon has my back. Like, no, this guy doesn't give a fuck about you. He doesn't give a fuck about whites and he's just using you and Twitter is going to become more of a snare and a honeypot than it was before. Um, that's pretty much what it is. I mean, if you want to go on Twitter and look at this stuff, I mean, what's really on Twitter essentially besides horrifying house guests account that, you know, basically exposes like all the Holly weird transsexuals, like what's on Twitter. I don't really get the, the point of going on there. There's really not that much. Occasionally, sometimes I'll find a good, a good picture like, you know, something that's like a nice picture of like a European, like a, you know, traditional picture, and I'll post it on the racial science channel. But Twitter is garbage. That sidebar is garbage. It's like one step away from Facebook, I'm, I'm uh, convinced of. So. so a little bit about Dharma, a little bit about uh, Elon Musk, or I like to refer to him as lone scum, because if you do an anagram 
of his uh, name, you get uh, Lone Scum. I guess you'd really have to spell um, Musk with, uh, I guess, a different a different letter. But anyway, I, I like to call him uh, Lone Scum. I think that makes a, a lot more sense. So a little bit about uh, Dharma right there, a little bit about how it's spelled different ways in different parts of the world. Again, Vedic spell it, you know, Dharma. Lithuanian is spelled Dharna. In Japan, it's the Do. Uh, and in, in China, it's the Dao or the, the Tao, which usually is pronounced like Tao. But yeah, pretty much all the same thing right there. And this is just natural law, right? Natural law. What a thing, right? And, and basically, with the advent of all these miasmic, Talmudic, Abrahamic religions, it was all about making these laws, which essentially are all just violations of nature. That's all it is. Violations of the sacred relationships that people have. I mean, it's just, it's rather infuriating thinking about all the, the damage that this, um, this belief system has done to the world and done to all of the inhabitants, right? Oh, we've got some new people here. We've got some first timers. Uh, welcome everyone who is new, who's listening. It's uh, fantastic to have everyone here. Yep. Let's see. We got some other stuff. <laughs> Rince Erickson. Rince Erickson. Hmm. Good point about Elon or Elona. Yeah. I mean, come on. Do we, do we really think this guy who's supposedly guy, gal, whatever, who is like this multi-millionaire, like has our back? I doubt it. I sincerely doubt it. If he had it, our back, he would have been euthanized by now, probably, right? I mean, he's one of those guys that, like, people think is base, right? Just, you know, for lack of a better word, I think you know what I'm talking about. But, yeah, I mean, wouldn't wouldn't even waste my time even looking into it too much. I just said what I had to say in that, like, three-minute interval just to say what I had to say. But I, I, I surely wouldn't waste any time really thinking about it. I wouldn't hold my breath about anything that he's going to say he's going to do. It's all just uh, a snare. Um, because the snares are everywhere. There's a new snare every single day. So now I want to talk a little bit about karma. And this word is thrown around a lot, especially in like the new age circles and all that sass. I want to talk about what they tell us karma is and what karma actually is from like a Dharmic, um, you know, Vedic perspective. So this is what they tell us karma is from like a new agey perspective. Karma, um, they're saying in the Indian religion, I'll say the Vedic or the Aryan religion, it's the universal casual law by which good or bad actions determine the future modes of an individual's existence. So someone will say, oh, this happened to me because I had good karma or bad karma, which kind of sounds a little Abrahamic, kind of like the whole idea of like sin and like being good and being evil and all that type of stuff, right? It also goes on to say karma is a word meaning the result of a person's actions as well as their actions themselves. It's a term about the cycle of cause and effect. According to the theory of karma, what happens to a person happens because they caused it with their actions. So that's basically what Jugal says from like a new age belief system of what karma is. So what actually is karma from the Sanatana Dharma perspective, the Vedic Aryan perspective? So in Buddhism and Hinduism, they have become corrupted by Abrahamism. And yes, and Buddhism, remember, is the religion that came from Hinduism. Hinduism came from Vedicism or Sanatha Dharma or the eternal truth. And Jainism is another religion that kind of branched off of Hinduism. It really never made a big splash here in America the way like a lot of like, you know, Western or like, you know, um, American whites will 
define themselves as like Buddhist or, or Hindu. Jainism is like a very small, I think still to this day, not that many people in the world are Jain, but it's a break off of the Hindu religion. They're really big into their interpretation, interpretation of what Ahimsa, Ahimsa in Sanskrit means do no harm. And their version of Ahimsa is not to eat any animals. They actually don't even eat root vegetables, believe it or not, because they think that when you pull the root out, you actually kill the plant. And yeah, that's true. So when you pull a beet out of the ground, that's it. The beet's done. But, you know, other beets will grow in their place. But they really only eat stuff that you can, like, you know, get fruit or, like, snip lettuce and, like, it keeps on coming back. And when they walk, they have this cone or this scoopy thing that they pass by their feet so they don't actually accidentally step on bugs. And they're not vegan. They do a lacto-vegetarian diet, which is essentially the modern-day Hindu diet. But keep in mind that the original Vedic diet was not a vegetarian diet. This is all part of the New Age Abrahamic snare to get us to eat this vegetarian diet. Now they're actually promoting it more as a vegan diet. So there's actually not even any animal foods whatsoever. So you know, no ghee, no yogurt, no milk, no cheese, no honey. This is all done. And it's actually rather dangerous to do a lot of this yoga, especially like, you know, things like Kundalini, which work with, you know, your internal energy and all that, whilst you're doing it on a, on a diet of just strictly vegetation that can cause, I think, a lot of problems for people. And I've noticed a trend with a lot of people, the people who tend to have the most amount of mental disorders and nervous disorders and just like fried nervous systems, they typically are vegetarian or they're, you know, meat eaters that basically eat kind of more like vegetarian style like to me anyone who's not eating organ meats and shellfish on a regular basis is vegan maybe that's a hardcore statement to make but that is where the nutrients are in food so if you're not getting those foods you might have a nervous system just like someone who's been depriving themselves of, of meat so just a little bit more than necessary to say but nevertheless these are all Abrahamic religions, Buddhism, Hinduism, Jainism. These have all gotten the Abrahamic treatment, even though they're not classified as Abrahamic religions. They have a universal perspective because they believe in stuff like, quote, anti-racism. They believe in vegetarianism. They believe in, they promote OEDAI. They promote vaccination. They promote the idea of, you know, climate change. So all of these are on board with, you know, the Talmudic agenda, essentially. So all of these religions have been corrupted by Abrahamism. Accurately, karma is a mechanism that makes us thoroughly experience the themes of our life until we gained optimal knowledge from them and until our emotional attachment to these themes fall off. That includes people. Karma can run through multiple lifetimes. So that's very different than what it says over here on Jugal is that it's a result of a person's actions and it's whether you're doing good or bad. That's a bit more of a simplistic way of speaking of it. From the Vedic perspective, it's themes that show up in our lives reoccurring over and over again until we gain the knowledge. Doesn't that make more sense and sound more positive, more based in an Aryan perspective of thought, more based on natural laws than the idea of like, oh, you fucked up. This is happening to you. It's my karma. Like, that just sounds like, you know, oh, I'm a sinner. You know, I better go in the booth and... And tell that guy who hasn't had sex in decades, like, what I did. I mean, 
Yeah, we, we can see what they've done. They've done a good job of diluting people, too. A very good job. But um, hopefully this rain is going to be over soon. So here's a bit more about karma from the Vedic perspective. It all goes back in the box. The famous speech of a Christian minister, John Ortberg, said it all goes back in the box, exposes the end path of Christianity and the end result of its materialism, meaning devoid of the spiritual materialism. And that's a, another big theme in this Talmudic Abrahamic perspective of things is materialism. The Oive is very materialistic. Many of our people have fallen into materialism. The Negro race tends to be very materialistic. We see also with a lot of Asians, very materialistic. It's very much a Talmudic ideology to be fascinated and romanced by materialism. Actually, this interesting picture once and it said materiality. And it showed a picture of JC being crucified and he was holding like two shopping bags whilst he was on the cross. Ortberg's famous narrative is that the end of that the end of everything you do is finished when a person is dead and all goes back in the box, including the individual going into the box of the grave, making the analogy to the game of Monopoly. This is false and shows the truth of Christianity, which is a program of the enemy to remove spiritual knowledge, a program of the enemy to remove spiritual knowledge. When a person leaves a body, the soul and the astral body are still here. And what they did to advance the soul is what will matter for the next reincarnation as the teachings of Toth states. When the astral body eventually is over the soul, um, is subject to reincarnation according to the karmic factors. If you understand residence and synchronicity, you will understand karma. You will return to carry on where you left off, according to karma. Your life is like a long book with each incarnation being a chapter and the narrative carries on from the previous chapters. Only in many cases, the individual does not remember the previous chapters due to the state of spiritual inertia in the individual within. They foolishly then become deceived by the materialism of the enemy from extianity to other manifestations of basically this life is all there is and that's all. And sadly, a lot of people believe that. The other situation is what people do in the world matters as it leaves a continuation of karma into the next generations. We come back to the world we create one way or another. Did we work to create a better and evolved society or did we let it fall into destruction? The program of Christianity and the like create a state of apathy towards life and the physical world, which combine with the spiritual inertia, these programs leave the individual in, the results are negative, which means as the soul starts to degenerate from the inertia of its suffering. And remember that Buddhism states as one of its core things, life is suffering. And that is very much a Talmudic belief. I believe that our birthright is ecstasy. And that is more of a Vedic way of looking at things as opposed to you're a sinner, you're supposed to suffer. No, 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 that's not the way it is. Which means as the soul starts to degenerate from the inertia of its suffering, so does the physical world of society start to reflect the same as its outer manifestation of the collective human psyche of society. Look at the architecture nowadays. That's a manifestation of the degeneration of the inertia of the suffering of the human. There's no great architecture anymore. It's all this terribly Talmudic angular stuff, which of course is reflecting the, the state of, of suffering and degeneration within the humans of society, right? The ancient spiritual text stated if an individual does not work on the soul with the practice of the Kundalini Pranayama, 
then being becomes subject to inertia, which is subjected and dominated by the principle of degeneration and extinction. And there will come a time when the soul is too weak to reincarnate and it's over the extinction, which means each time you reincarnate into society, spirit, body, and soul have become more subjected to the principles of inertia due to the materialism of Christianity. And I would say all the other pogroms out here that cause spiritual degeneration and suffering. Then one day the person will literally go back in the box fully. And that includes the extinction of the soul due to inertia. The soul will dissipate along with the body and spirit. Then the materialistic atheist belief of the current society that this life is all that there is and the individual has, then it's over will become the truth, right? And we're kind of at a teeter right that right now in society because we're in this, um, we're in this Kali Yuga, right? You did that show a little while ago called Keeping Up with the Kali Yuga. We're in this age of destruction. We have this three to 400 year phase that we're kind of approaching. We're leaving the Kali Yuga, but we're going to have this like intermittent liminal phase before we get to the Satcha Yuga, the golden age, which, you know, if we do come back, we're going to be in different skin and all that type of stuff. But we're in a very kind of pivotal time right now. It's, it's, a, it's a good time to be alive. So what is the truth? As our spiritual ancestors stated, what we do in life lives into eternity. This is not poetic. It is literal. The work we do on our soul carries into the body and spirit and flows into our physical world. If a person leaves the body, the soul is more advanced and will live again in a new body. It will come back into a society that is more evolved and beautiful. The work they did will live on in the society they created. The spiritual genes they brought into the next generation will ensure a more physically evolved generation that the more evolved soul can be reincarnated into the future physical bloodlines of and enjoy a paradise world to live in. To the day comes the total perfection of both the individual and their people and society. So very, very different idea of what karma is and how it's a continuative loop and how what you do now sets the scene for the future, for if you come back, for your descendants, for you know the world, or the advancement of what the world is going to be. And how when we believe these materialistic pogroms of the enemy, how this degenerates us, not just physically degenerates us, which we're seeing a lot of these days of young people really having all of these ills that traditionally people would only get into their more senior years. We're seeing so much physical degeneration in society. Uh, there definitely has to be spiritual degeneration that's happening behind the scenes that perhaps many of us just don't see or know is happening in the first place. So it's good to know what karma actually means as opposed to the Zio uh, New Age definition, which really does nothing for us at all. It just kind of brings us back into that materialistic Christian loop of being a sinner having to suffer, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, going to the hot place, you know, all these things that they do. Remember, they have to use fear and guilt. This happens in religion. This happens in things like the Oyedei Psyop. Um, they have to use that or they have to make having racialist beliefs seem so, you know, out of character. Well, you'll lose your job. You know, you'll lose your friends and your family if, you know, if you voice like a race realist perspective on an issue. Like they have to make the truth so terribly taboo and they have to wrap these lies in fear. And that's how they get a lot of people. And hey, it worked. Look, look at how many people the last two years, people still 
believing, still believing these things about Oyed AI. It's a, it's a mind zoggler. But they believe these things because they've been put into a fear state. And I think that also there's a there's a part of this which has to do with the nervous system being on the fritz. Like I was talking earlier about how, you know, people who are vegetarian and get into like lots of pranayam and, you know, lots of asana and all these, you know, yogic practices as, as lovely as they are, they don't really have the fortitude and they can get into like a, a wonky place and that can really mess with the nervous system. And, and they know that. I think people who believe the lies and the pollution that the enemy spews have to have some type of nervous system dysregulation to actually believe something that's so antithetical to nature, so unnatural, so anti-white, so anti-human, essentially, right? So let's take a little Gandhi over here at the chat. Um, let's see, the law of the returning tide, Ranseric is saying. Yeah, that makes about, that makes good sense. And uh, Bam Ram U podcast is saying veganism is the NWO diet. Yeah, I like to call it the JWO or the ZWO diet. Living Pure is saying, hi, Tabitha and chat. It's been so long. I have listened live. Well, great to have you here, Living Pure. And uh, let's see. A country Girl is saying she's still plugging along like a dedicated Aryan woman. Yep, I am. I've been uh, doing this for um, three Gosh, more than three years at this point. But yeah, I'm keeping on not doing the shows every single week, just kind of scaling back a teeny bit from that. But, you know, still putting out, um, you know, cosmic content on, on the regular and doing my little mini shows where I take my walks and all that jazz. So and Country Girl is saying I got in trouble at work for bitching about people still walking around with the fucking masks on with their nose hanging out makes me sick. I called them out today. Good. Yeah, it's, um, isn't everyone just tired of the, of the mask and like people still into it? I still see people wearing it, wearing the gloves, like wearing what I call the whole costume. Haven't seen the shield in a while. Like people wearing the shield. I haven't seen that in quite some time, but maybe we'll see that in the future again. Who knows? Who knows what they have up there? sleeve for maybe like another, you know, pandemic psyop. I'm dropping this um, song in that I just played the Mazzy Starman because one of the people listening, Kazam, wanted to hear the song again. So I'm dropping it there. You can listen to it at your leisure. And Ban Ram Yu is saying, do you have socials and or a telegram discord? I'd like to connect. I have a podcast about this stuff and we could do a collab. I will drop my... Um, my telegram channel into the chat right now and uh yeah let's see here we are put that right there all right that's the main channel but i have i have um five channels i think yeah five channels but that's that's the main channel and i have a channel too i'll get you on there yeah groovy that sounds groovy so yeah a little bit right there so yeah, some stuff about karma. I hope that was um, interesting to hear. And now we're going to read a little bit more about Sanatana Dharma. I just got some more notes. Just have to find them right here. And keep in mind that all these things about, you know, terrain theory, Germanic new medicine, ancestral diet, Kundalini, all of this is coming from the Sanatana Dharma perspective of eternal truth. You know, so all of this stuff that I've been talking about on the broadcast for, for years now. It's all from the same perspective of the eternal truth, which of course really uh, 
you know, the Skeksis don't like the eternal truth. They hate the truth, right? What do they call truth in their, in their Bible? They call it the adversary, right? Remember the word Satan, the word that recoils most people I know. But they say in their Hebrew language that Satan means adversary. And of course, in the Sanskrit language, oldest language out there, it's an Indo-Aryan tongue, Satan means truth. And of course, Sanskrit is an older language than, than Hebrew. So there eternal adversary is truth, right? So of course they would do everything and anything. Remember they have unlimited money. They work around the clock 24 seven. They live, we sleep like, like the movie. They have all the time in the world and they have all the money in the world to do everything in their power to basically promote things that are against natural law and make natural law look racist, bigoted, anti-Semitic, whatever word they want to use. So so here's a bit more about natural law from a Germanic New Medicine perspective. Some are anchored to truth and natural law. Others are enslaved to lies and man-made laws. You can tell who they are by the way they live. One is full of confidence, the other is full of fear. Yes, you can. Male, female, up, down, black, white, light, dark, cold, hot, right, wrong, true, false. Is this earthly, in this earthly realm, we are bound by natural laws. There are two poles to every magnet. For every cause, there is an effect. The micro mirrors the macro. Gestation periods, seasons, fractals, math. This is a weird, cool, and mysterious wonderland we are inhabiting. There is a coding that makes up the background on which the foreground of our human experiences can take place. When you work with natural laws, you'll be inclined towards things that generate strength, growth, evolution, flourishing, and you will thrive. When you violate, invert, and pervert the natural laws, you will create chaos, struggle, suffering, and destruction. And what has Abrahamism caused this planet and the people and the flora and the fauna? Chaos, struggle, suffering, and destruction. All by design. And when you break out of that and you work with the harmony of the natural laws, remember what Sine Price said that um, nature, something is, you say health is mother nature obeyed, something like that. And you're generating strength, growth, evolution, flourishing, and you will thrive. So there's always a choice to be made. And it's not so black and white as they want us to think with all these little like sub movements like, you know, white nationalism, the truther community. I mean, I've sifted through those movements. I never really considered myself a truther or anything like that because truthers are, you know, they, they hate Hitler and they're like obsessed with, you know, crazy conspiracy theories that make no sense. But I mean, that's really what it comes down to. When you work with the natural laws, you thrive. And when you violate them, you create this terrible sense of disharmony that we see all over the place all the time and it's the result of, of violating that and remember the skexis think that they can be god that they are better than god that's one of their reasons for for doing all this transhumanism style stuff right they think that they are better that they can trump that they actually have this one of their words chutzpah they think that oh yeah i i can do that as opposed to saying like no there are these higher powers i'm gonna work in alignment and harmony with this in the natural laws and I'm going to be the most amazing optimized person I am and I'm going to become my own god with the god essence and god consciousness that's available to me. They don't think that way at all because they have this 
inferiority complex, which makes them kind of have this drive to destroy anything natural, good, flourishing, eugenic, which is one of the reasons why they don't like the white race. Don't like is an understatement. They loathe the white race. It's called uh, loxism. That's when they have uh, antipathy and uh, vitriol for the white race. Okay, a little bit more about Sanatana Dharma. Let's see. I'm just going through my notes, see what I can find. I got a couple of questions that I had for this show, too, from some people. I always like answering the questions. Here's a bit more about the topic of Sanatana Dharma. And basically, I, I liken the eternal truth to freedom, right? So here's a little post about five freedoms. The freedom to see and hear what is. The freedom to say what you feel and think. The freedom to feel what you actually feel. The freedom to ask for what you want. And the freedom to take risks on your own behalf. And when you believe in one of these Zio Sludge, Zog Crud religions, you don't have the freedom to see and hear what you want or to feel and think what you want or to, to actually feel and to want what you want, to risk, to make risks on your own behalf. You're part of a program or a pogrom and you're, you're part of essentially a group think. And this is how they control people or control people. Someone asked me the question, could you expand more on the Abrahamic universalism versus the Sanatana Dharma, please? And thank you. I think I've, I've covered that so far on the broadcast. Basically, Abrahamic universalism is inversion, perversion, and corruption, and a way to enslave humanity with lies and limit their freedom. And Sanatana Dharma is living in alignment with the eternal laws of nature, the biological laws, the natural laws, and the eternal truth, and, and honoring those things as opposed to trying to create chaos, struggle, destruction, you know, lies, abuse, humiliation. I mean, all of the enemy pogroms. I mean, they're just, they're ongoing, you know, 24-7 is how they do it. Here's a little bit about freedom from the same fellow who was in that Sanatana Dharma video about it saving the West, Sri Dharma Pravatarka Achara. He wrote this, freedom is a dharmic value. Tyranny is a demonic value. A leader in any sector of governance, whether a president, governor, representative, mayor, or any other office holder, must always seek to ensure the maximal degree of decentralization of governmental authority, the maximal degree of localized governmental authority, the maximal reduction of bureaucracy and regulation, and the maximal degree of liberty and freedom for the citizens as is possible within and not contradictory to the jurisdictional and ethical principles of Dharma. Government, even under the best of circumstances, tends to be a burden upon all sectors of the population and not a benefit. Thus, government is best when it is at its very smallest. And that's why they want this global governance, right? That's why they want all this stuff with global governments, because they know that they can get everyone under their thumb, right? And make this kind of like this global network. And that's why they're doing all this stuff with technology, trying to connect everybody because they want total and full control. And the reason they want that is because they don't live within the natural laws, within the Dharma, within the biological laws, within the eternal truth. So they have to do all these nasty uh, and terrible things, tricking people, abusing them because they don't have the internal power or the, um, the spirit to actually work in alignment with, with those natural laws. 
Okay, what else do we have here? Let's see. Have I looked at all of the little bit more, a couple of more things that I have. Ah, yes, something else from this fellow too, this um, Sri Dharma Pravatarka Achara. Here is a philosophical meditation that describes the Dharma and the, the way of the truth a bit more. Truth is neither subjective nor relative. Truth is absolute, eternal, and unalterable. And remember, lies are, are the exact antithesis of such. The truth of the source of truth is God. There is nothing greater than God. Words have meaning. Actions have consequences. Reason always and without exception outweighs emotion. Of course, we live in a society where someone's feelings are hurt and then someone gets fired and you know how that goes. Reality consists of both objective and subjective components. Reality is objective in its own right and it is simultaneously perceived subjectively by individuals in accordance with their level of either illusion or enlightenment. An enlightened subject always surrenders to the objective truth. Good and evil are factual realities. Gray areas are non-existent in the choice between good and evil. Gray areas are philosophically uninteresting and morally vacuous. If you choose good, you're being good. If you choose evil, you are being evil. Good is always better than evil. Morality is always better than immortality. Nature expresses herself hierarchically in all spheres of existence. Equality is anti-nature, and it is thus necessarily undesirable and unattainable. One person is not interchangeable with, one, with any other person. No one person is equal to any other person. Every single person is, without exception, superior to some other person in some ways and inferior to some other person in other ways. The sole person for whom there is no superior is God, the supreme person. Each individual human person, each group, each tribe, each ethnicity, each nation, each distinct people contains an essence that is unique to it. One distinct people is not interchangeable with another people. Cultures are not relative. relative. Multiculturalism, or really multiracialism, kills diversity. The celebration and embrace of one's own unique culture is what preserves diversity. There are only two genders, well, sexes, men and women. These two genders are not transitionary. Men and women are not interchangeable. The greatest friend of a good man is a good woman, and the greatest friend of a good woman is a good man. Love is not a feeling, it is a commitment. It is a committed, monogamous relationship between a man and a woman that con conjugal love most perfectly and meaningfully expresses itself in this world. Beauty is not merely in the eye of the beholder. True beauty beholds us. The lesser is subservient to the greater. The material is subservient to the spiritual. Humanity is subservient to God. Atheism is an irrational delusion. Atheism is based on fear, emotional reaction, philosophical lethargy, and the desire to engage in unethical behavior. All religions are not the same. Some religions encourage good. Some religions encourage evil. The New Age dogma of oneness is a blind religious belief. Humanity is qualitative, qualitatively devolving. Progress is the greatest myth. Justice is not social, but applies only to individual persons. Not everyone has the right to an opinion on topics of critical importance. True knowledge is derived only from persons who have made themselves qualified to know and thus to advise others. Some individuals do have the ability and thus the right and duty to judge others. Judgment, discernment, and discrimination are inherent faculties of the intellect that are not to be purposely cultivated and encouraged. They are not political sins to be dishonestly condemned. 
it actually does matter. All questions of importance always matter. Life does have meaning. That meaning is to know love, to, to know, to love, and to serve God, the supreme person. Please share widely. So a little bit about kind of like the, you know, the multiracial hoax and all this idea of equality. Remember, that's their end game is the black cube. And all three of those religions are represented by a black cube. In Judaism, you have that thing that the Orthodox wear called the telephone. They put it on their head and they wrap it around their arms. In Christianity, you have the cross, which kind of looks like Thor's hammer inverted, but without the, the cool curvy part on it. And when you fold a cross up, what do you get? A box. And then in, you know, in, in Islam, they go to Mecca and they put their ass in the air and they, they worship that black cube. So the end game of all of these Abrahamic uh, miasmic ideologies is black cubism, is equality, is nothingness, is zero, is the neutralization and the annihilation of, of every bit of diversity, real diversity, not diversity on this planet. That is their ultimate plan. So a little bit to counter uh, what their what their idea of, of a good time is, right? Tiku Mulam, right? That's that's their idea of world peace, which nothing could be further um, from the truth uh, in regards to what that actually means. Let's see, we've got some questions coming up in the chat. Ranseric is saying, a lot of my coworkers hail when I walk in their area. They love me for my racial views. I appreciate them. Yeah, that's really um, that's really awesome, actually. Uh, yes, the name of that artist is called Mazzy Star. I'm writing it here right now. M-A-Z-Z-Y-S-T-A-R. Living Pure is saying, I broke my veganism and I eat dairy and eggs, but then got a massive ear infection. Taking a month to get through, can't bring myself to eat dairy again. Well, it would really depend what type of uh, dairy it, it was, right? Um, I would say, I mean, dairy can be so many different things. It could be really, really anything. Uh, and oftentimes, too, keep this in mind. I'm not sure how familiar you are with Germanic New Medicine, but oftentimes when we have something happen to us, like, you know, an ear infection, a cold, you know, whatever, we say, oh, no, we did something wrong. But that's actually the healing or the adaptation. So maybe bringing those foods back into the diet was helping bring something out and, and healing from maybe a time in your life when you had less nutrition. Now you possibly have the strength to be able to do this type of healing or, or adaptation. And of course, there's always an emotional factor that goes in, I think, to, to every uh, dis-ease, right? So just some ideas, ideas with that. But it would be very, very dependent on what type of dairy it was, was it? Was it hybridized? Was it pasteurized? Was it fermented? Was it high in protein? I mean, so many questions. Dairy isn't just, you know, uh, one size fits all. Some people do better with fermented. Some people can't do any of the protein-rich dairy. Some people only do okay with, you know, cheese or, um, you know, because it's fermented. Some people only do it with, like, butter or ghee or, you know, cream. So it's really very, um, it's very individual. And, of course, if we haven't eaten dairy in a long time, and I'm assuming if you were vegan, you haven't eaten dairy in a while, we kind of lose our lactase enzyme. Just like if we haven't eaten meat in a while, we kind of lose the enzymes and the stomach acid to, to break down those foods. So it could be a bit of a learning curve. And also something you may want to do is just very gently, you know, adding the foods in. And then as you become more acclimated to it and your body starts to remember it again, then you can say, oh, okay. 
and you know added in with with more in more of a liberal fashion but in the beginning it would probably be best to be uh, conservative with this and Rancerik is saying thinking for yourself is anti-semitic yeah it definitely is i mean the truth is uh, breathing is right everything essentially is these days and i see that living pure sent me a gift oh, that's very kindly of you i appreciate that um and yeah Rancerik is right there's two types of cows as well there's, you know, there's there's A1, which is like what most cattle are. I'm not sure if you're in America or not, but most cattle here in America are A1. And then there's A2, which is a non-hybridized type. And then, of course, if you're getting stuff from goat or sheep or even more exotic stuff like water buffalo or camel, those are always going to be A2 because those animals never got the hybridization that the cow got. So like in the case of me, I don't do well with A1 dairy unless it is something like butter, which has no protein in it, right? But for the most part, I only A1 dairy food that I eat is ghee. And ghee has like all of the lactose here. So yeah, there's everyone's got different issues with that. And someone else is saying magical unicorn, same issue with dairy, nose, ears, throat. Humans weren't meant to drink from cows. I mean, I, I like I said, I stick to the... Um, to the goat stuff myself um and also i think about this too like the milk even though it's tasty and all that the milk is really more for the young because the young of mammals has the milk to be able to you know get get what they need right get to get weight on them and all that type of stuff so oftentimes like i know in, in a lot of european you know traditions we have a lot of dairy especially in the north because it's a food that you know we utilize during more agrarian times you know everyone's got their own different point of whether it works for them or not or what type it also depends on the health of your gut i mean most of us have some little bit of of leaky gut going on just based on the fact that we've probably eaten something with glyphosate We've probably had a vaccination or two. We've probably taken antibiotics. I mean, some people have, what, like five rounds or 10 rounds of antibiotics before they're like, like a toddler. So, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, of things that would inhibit our ability to eat these foods that maybe, you know, our ancestors had absolutely no issue. And of course, you know, if our ancestors were living in like more of a farm style type of thing, then they would be able to know exactly what they were feeding the animals. Like we don't know what the animals are eating these days, unless we have a relationship with the farm, but we're out there ourselves milking the cow. Right. So there's a lot that goes, um, a lot that goes into it. And living pure is saying my half brother and his siblings and mom have goat milk as can't tolerate cow milk. Yeah. Goat milk is, is good. I, I stick to the goat milk, um, the goat yogurt, um, things like that. And, I like it. The fat molecule is smaller in goat milk, so it's not going to have the cream layer. How in um, you know, cow milk, there's always that layer of like cream on top. The goat, the goat lipid is homogenous, so it's 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 creamy throughout, as opposed to having that cream line. And Epiphany is saying sheep milk if you can find it. Yeah, sheep is great. Um, sheep yogurt too, and sheep also. Some people just find the taste of goat to be gamey. It really depends what the goats are eating. But sheep milk and sheep dairy taste more like cow than goat does. I feel like most people probably would say the sheep was tastier than the goat, just because I think goat's like a little on the gamey side, but it really depends what the goat is eating. I, 
I like both. I eat both. I eat both meats. I eat, you know, I eat lamb, which is baby sheep. I eat mutton, which is older sheep. I eat, you know, goat when I can find goat. Um, it really depends on what I can find. I'm not a big beef eater with the exception of like marrow. I adore marrow. I, I love marrow so much. I'm actually having a little bit of marrow tonight. And I'm actually having a little bit of beef tonight too, which I don't eat too much, but it's this special grind of beef that's actually like, it's the good, it's like the steak cuts of beef and it's made into a grind. So it's like strip and fillet minion and like ribeye and like all my favorite cuts ground into like a burger. So I'm going to make these little burgers and have some marrow. And I'm not just going to eat that. I, I'm going to eat carbohydrates and, you know, vegetation on the side as well. So Ranseric is saying exactly what our food eats is extremely important and affects us. It's like that saying, you are what you ate, ate, right? So like if you ate that egg, you're not just the egg, you're what the chicken ate too. So it's, it's, it's multi- it's multifaceted. I encourage everybody who has the um, availability, whether it's, you know, geographically or financially to form a relationship with a farm. These farms are typically owned by our people and you can get higher quality food that you can get from even any of the health food stores like, you know, Whole Foods is owned by Zog, right? So I mean, even if they have some stuff there that you know, maybe is okay for us to have here and there. I'd like to see more of the money put back into the pocket of, of our people, right? Like a small family farm, multi-generational farm. I'd like to see the money put back there as opposed to into the shitstem system, right? Magical Unicorns is saying, wonderful podcast. Any other places to follow you other than Podbean? Um, yes, I'll drop it in again. Um, I have a Maybe I actually have it still on the copy paste. There we go. Here is my Telegram channel, t.me backslash uh, white wellness. That's my main channel. And I also have a few other channels. I have a cooking channel where everyone shares great recipes and dishes that they make. I've got a channel uh, about anthropology called racial science. And I've got a channel about um, yoga, sexuality, fertility, all that type of stuff as well. Because hell, that's been inverted too. Everything has been inverted. Ranseric is saying, I ate goat off of a goat skull. Some Africans offered it to me. A skull sitting in the middle of the table was pretty cool. I tried the tongue. Wasn't bad. I bought a goat, a goat um, skull actually a while ago and I ended up not eating it. I was going to like find some way to saw it and like get like the brain out, but I ended up not doing it. So I, I gave it to, um, to my birds because I got, got a couple of chickens. I gave it to them. And then I was wondering if like the thing was like rolling around somewhere and the neighbors would have like seen it and be like, what the hell is a goat skull? You know, it's like, it's just not really like a thing you'd see all the time. But what is the racial science if I can be a pest? Yeah, no problem whatsoever. Let me just bring up that, um, that channel. Um, let's see. Racial science. Here we go. And I also have a private group that's just for women. And Ranseric was saying the meat was really sweet. Yeah, goat's a good meat. I like it. I have a channel that's just for women. I'm not going to post it here. But um, if anyone wants to join, they can just ask me in one of the other channels. And they'll send them the link. It's just for women. We're talking about, you know, women's issues. Um, and it's a, it's, a, it's a space only for white women because... Just like we need our racial spaces, we also need our sex-specific spaces. I'm also going to post a link to my um, Vedic Sex Fertility and Yoga channel. 
And I'm also going to post a link to the, uh, the cooking channel, the White Wellness cooking channel. Here we go. Let's see. These are the main channels. I have another one where I just kind of like put some of the white wellness memes, but that one's really not, not too necessary to post here. So basically it's four channels. It's the, the original white wellness or like the main channel, then a channel about anthropology, um, you know, and blood and all types of things like blood typing. I love talking about blood types, then a channel about, you know, sex and yoga and fertility and all that jazz. And then a channel about cooking. So all the things that, that matter, race, sex, yoga, cooking, you know, all, all the great things in life. So, all right. So we've got about 10 minutes left. I have two questions that I had from people that were priorly submitted. So let me get to those now. Let's see. Okay. So here's a question. What is Dharma? How do we know that the Vedic based spirituality is an authentic European tradition? If Vedic spirituality is European, how can we extract it given that this tradition has been preserved by non-Europeans who have imprinted their bio-spirit on it? Is Vedicism at odds with the European pagan traditions? Is Vedicism universal? For example, the only authentic tradition that can be followed by all people? Well, of course, I would say some of these kind of like more, you know, Hindu beliefs, if we can call it that, really Vedic. Yeah, of course, there's always going to be a bit of a bio-spirit imprint by by any people. I think that's just what happens over time when other races and cultures get a handle or a hand on material, right? So Vedic spirituality is European and it is definitely not at odds with European paganism traditions because it's essentially the same thing. Just of course we have different gods and goddesses and deities, like let's say in, in Norse mythology, you know, and, and, and Norse spirituality than we do in something like the Vedic uh, myths or spirituality, but it's not at odds with it. We just have different representations, but the core beliefs and ideology are essentially the same. And also Vedicism is universal in the way that before the miasma of Abrahamism swept over, you know, earth, we all had this representation and recognition of natural law. But it's not universalism the way that the Talmudic Abrahamic religions are universalism, where it's like everyone's equal, you know, race mix, etc. All this very degenerative style of thinking. It's universal in its belief, but it's not universalism. I hope that that makes sense. So the Dharma is essentially the natural law. It's what we had here before we had this pollution, this miasma of um, a Talmudiarchy essentially is what Abrahamism is, which of course is not just limited to those three religions. It's other religions that have been Talmudified. And of course, it's all the beliefs we see in the world today. Feminism, MGTOW, transsexualism, germ theory, allopathy as a whole, all of these things are part of Abrahamism because anything that's against the sacred order of natural law, essentially, right? And then we had one last question. Let's see, we had that question about Dharma, and then we had one last question right here that was a food-based question. But since we already did a little bit of food chat, it's always nice to have a bit of food chat on the broadcast. This is a question right here. Is the metabolic diet similar to, say, the Weston A. Price way of eating? Great question. 
So similar-ish somewhat, but I'd say the philosophy is different. The Weston A. Price diet is one of the ways of doing ancestral eating. Perhaps some of you are familiar with it. Dr. Price was a dentist originally from Canada who was based in Cleveland in the 30s and 40s. He did all these travels around the world with his wife where he went to study, quote, primitive people. He studied everyone from the rural Swiss to, you know, um, the Maori of New Zealand. He went to see all different, you know, tribes and humans of all different, you know, races, mongoloids, negroids, australoids, um, Aryans. He went everywhere and he studied everyone's dentition or teeth to see what was going on in their mouth and how that related to the rest of their health. And he had the impetus to do this trip because he had had his 10-year-old son die, I believe, after he performed a root canal procedure on him. And of course, he found a huge correlation in regards to how people eat and their teeth health, which oftentimes is a kind of a microcosm of the rest of their, their bodily health. So the Weston A. Price diet is an ancestral diet, and it differs from different parts of the world. So when he went to visit the rural Swiss, they were eating, you know, a diet that was more of a Northern European diet. When he went to visit the Maori in New Zealand, they were eating a diet that was appropriate for the South Pacific. So for example, they were eating fish and coconut and tubers, the, the, the uh, Maori people. And then when he went to visit the rural Swiss, they were eating rye bread and they were eating dairy and they were eating, you know, more of the foods of Northern Europe, right? But the Weston A. Price diet, I would say, is higher in um, lipids, and lower in protein than the metabolic diet. And I'd say it's also somewhat a little bit lower in carbohydrates than the metabolic diet. And with the Weston A. Price diet, there's really not much of a distinction or recognition in regards to lipids. I mean, they do say to stay away from the industrial Zio oils like, you know, safflower and sunflower and canola, which is really rapeseed and, you know, grapeseed, cottonseed, soy oil, all this type of stuff. But they say to stay away from those, but the diet is still heavy in stuff like, let's say, flaxseed and flax oil, which is actually a highly unsaturated oil, H-U-F-A, uh, HUFA, highly unsaturated fatty acid, as opposed to a PUFA, which is a polyunsaturated fatty acid. So there's really no recognition for that. And they also are very high, I'd say, in nuts and seeds, albeit they soak the nuts and seeds to kind of release some of the phytic acid, which can help because phytic acid is an anti-nutrient that was traditional practice by many people, but nuts in general can be very hard to digest. I mean, I think from an ancestral perspective, we never sat down and made like a cake with almond flour, for example, or right? we got a couple of almonds here and there, we, we munched on them and we were on our way, but it really wasn't something where we're making these like cakes where it had like, you know, two cups of almond flour, which I've made these before in the past years ago. They're not tasty. You're better off just using a flour that agrees with you or trying to make something flourless or eating, you know, more custards and stuff like that if you prefer that way of eating. So the Weston A. Price diet can really vary quite a bit depending on what you're essentially eating and, you know, what type of, you know, cuisine you're essentially trying to emulate. But it has some of a an overlap with the the metabolic diets, but the Weston A. Price diets don't really have much of a, I'd say a recognition for minerals, which are very, very important. We need minerals to make enzymes and that helps us basically go to the bathroom. And there's a lot of issues now with people not being able to go to the bathroom, having all different stuff, IBS, IBD, constipation, diarrhea, Crohn's, colitis, uh, colon cancer. I mean, there's so many things these days and is it interesting that we live in this culture where there's this fetishization of shit from everything from the poop emoji to 
all the crazy s stories that we read from, think about all the hot lead holla hoax or Irene Zizblatt who was supposedly shitting out diamonds. Like they just love promoting all this crap, you know? But um, what I was going to say is I think some of the parts of the Weston A. Price diet really don't work I'd say long term, I think people like it's one of those like intermediate steps. And of course, there's more than one way to it's not really a diet. It's more of an ideology of principles, I would say. But I think it's got many good things going for it, definitely. But I think that they really don't have enough of an emphasis on what lipids are deleterious and which ones are health supportive. They are into promoting the idea that many cultures or every culture had like a raw animal food dish, typically a raw meat dish or a fermented meat dish. But the metabolic diet, and I've got some gripes with that too. A lot of the people are addicted to synthetic supplements. They believe in germ theory. They're addicted to coffee. They're addicted to sugar. I don't think any of that is really good. But the idea that we need a certain amount of protein, I think is really good. Plus the idea that we need to get some of our protein from non-muscle meat sources like gelatin and collagen, you know, eggs and dairy, uh, shellfish, things like that. And I love all that stuff. So it's very easy for me to eat this type of way. But I think oftentimes people use that dietary ideology as an excuse to binge on carbohydrates because we've been hearing so much for so long, you can't have carbohydrates, like you can't do that, like they're horrible for you. And like, that's not true. Like, are you eating the right carbohydrates? Are you eating ones that are laced with Zio seed oils and like iron filings? So it, there's really a lot to this. But at the end of the day, I think the healthiest diet is something that has an ancestral context that is, you know, has an ample amount of, of protein by protein, I mean, animal protein, stuff like lentils are more like in this category of starches a diet that has a little bit of saturated fat, depending on what works for you. Hopefully some of it is in its raw form and easy to digest carbohydrates. So that would be things like squashes, fruits, beets, potatoes. Um, those are all easy to eat. Soaked rice is nice. Rice pasta, sourdough bread, if you can do wheat. So that's kind of where I think it works. But of course, you know, everyone's different. It's best if you have a a gut issue or something you're trying to quell that you work, you work with somebody who can kind of ferret out what it is because it's more than just diet. It's also, I'd say emotions and stuff like that, because a lot of people could be eating the perfect diet and they still can't poop or they still have terrible abdominal pain because they have, as according to dramatic new medicine, indigestible morsel conflict. So they have this emotional conflict where they can't digest, you know, something emotionally. And that's, that's messing with their uh, digestive health. We've got a couple of things right here in the chat. Country Girl is saying, I'm restreaming your live cast. If we're not eating right away, why is human right at an alt? If we're not eating right, why is human, human right at an all-time high? One of my viewers questions. Human right? I don't think I, I get that question. If we're not eating. Oh, why is human height right now at an all-time high? Hmm, I didn't know that human height was at an all-time high. I'm not totally sure on the answer to that. I've heard that we actually were higher um, height back in the day. So I'm not, I have to look into that, actually, country girl. What do you think about a diet based on Huel? Is this this, like, crap protein shit they've been shilling on um, YouTube? I think I've seen this stuff before. Huel. Let's take a gander. I think I have a couple of more minutes. If I happen to get cut off on this live stream, I am recording it on my audacity. So if I do get cut off, we'll just go into the audacity. Huel. Okay. 
Um, I think I remember seeing this. This is all based on plant-based uh, style of, of eating. Um, let's see, what is actually in this, quote, protein powder? I'm assuming it's, uh, hmm, let's see, where is the ingredient list? Okay, ingredient information. Okay, this is not protein. Um, oats and peas don't offer protein. That's really more of a starch. Peas are very hard to digest. Ground flaxseed is high in highly unsaturated fatty acids. There's PUFAs in here, sunflower oil. There's natural flavors, which could come from 500 ingredients, one of those being uh, aborted um, renal tissue. So that would be kidney, um, kidney cells from late-term abortions. There's cornstarch. Um, there's a bunch of vitamins in the synthetic form. Uh, no, this is total xyo sludge. I would definitely avoid this. If you're looking for a protein shake, your best bet is doing what old school bodybuilders used to do back in the day. Raw milk, uh, raw eggs, honey, banana, and buzzing that up. That's a, that's a way better thing to be eating. Living Pure is saying, I went to, the to a chiropractor and learning so much about my body and links to gut illness in relation to spine and nervous system. That's great. Yeah, chiropractors can help. It's kind of like, like someone else does yoga for you, I kind of think about um, chiropractics. Ranseric has said, who would have thought that putting processed, quote, food in your biological processing plant digestive system wasn't a good idea? Yeah, well, so many of us, I think, are addicted to junk food. And it's one of those things that we don't even think about it. Like we think, oh, you know, that guy with a needle in his arm is an addict or that guy with a bottle wrapped with a paper bag, like he's the addict. You know, it's it's not me, but a lot of people are addicted to food, to junk food, to artificial flavors and colors and, you know, poofas and just all, all the sludge, right? And Living Pure is saying the world has made it fashionable or popular to have illnesses, especially gut ones. Absolutely. How many profiles do you see on Twitter or Instagram? Autoimmune warrior, you know, mental illness warrior. Like we shouldn't be, um, you know, giving ourselves that status for an ailment that's, you know, got roots with malnutrition and toxicity and trauma, right? And Rensarek is saying everyone wants to be either a victim or suffering from something. Yep. It's really sad as opposed to saying, you know what, I'm, I'm white, I'm healthy, I'm amazing, and I love myself. You ever see anyone writing that on their profile? I don't, right? Let's see. Um, could this contribute to IBS? Yes, uh, Rock G. The ingredients in that Huel thing could definitely contribute to irritable bowel syndrome because many of the things in there are not natural food and they could cause intestinal turbulence, irritation, inflammation, diarrhea, constipation, bloating, gas, mood disorder, etc. And Living Pure is right. It's full of synthetic vitamin and minerals. Yep, it is. Sturgis is saying, can Huel cause a person with IBS to have gassy episodes? I would say yes, because pea protein is completely and totally indigestible. A lot of these plant-based foods are gas chambers. They're fart factories. And I think that the Skeksis deliberately put these things out because they have some type of like fart and shit fetish and they want us to suffer um, in a digestive fashion. Because remember when your, your gut is like messed up, it messes up the mind. I did shows a while ago. You can search them. It's called gastrointestinal mind control. And how when someone's gut is messed up, it's basically like, you know, your gut's your second brain, right? So it's a form of mind control. 
Ba Ram is saying, no pressure, but I thought to ask. I have parasomnia, loss of taste and smell. Zinc, uh, zinc, not, not zinc supplement, zinc food, oysters, uh, liver, dark meat, chicken, like the thigh or the drumstick, uh, red meat in general. That is a, a lack of uh, zinc. And if you don't want to eat those foods, you could take desiccated oyster. But uh, that's what I would do if you uh, need to have, uh, you know, more zinc in the diet. I love oysters too, Ranseric. I eat uh, two dozen a week. Just make sure, Bahram, that you don't take synthetic zinc because that will deplete you of other um, minerals. So make sure that you you uh, eat, you know, real zinc from food or get it from, you know, food-based supplements. So I think I'm going to end it here. I have a quote that I want to end this with from one of my favorite um, books. And we have one more thing. I'm reoccurring inflammation in my sacrum joint. Any advice? Uh, it could be what you're eating. You, maybe you're eating something that could hurt you. Also, back pain can come from a chronic self-devaluation conflict. Are you telling yourself negative things, even if you're not verbalizing them? Like, are you putting yourself down, saying that, you know, you're stupid, you're worthless, you can't do this, you'll never have what you want, etc.? Oftentimes, bone and muscle pain is from chronic self-devaluation. So that's something to think about. Also, you could be eating something that's inflammatory. Maybe it's something like uh, glyphosate-laden gluten, pasture-rated dairy, um, foods that have, you know, all types of uh, deleterious um, additives and things like that. And I have a quote that I'm going to close the show out with from one of my favorite books. Um, the book is The Dharma Bums, 1958, Jack Kerouac. Down on the lake, rosy reflections of celestial vapor appeared, and I said, God, I love you, and looked into the sky, and I really meant it. I have fallen in love with you, God. Take care of us all, one way or another. To the children and the innocent, it's all the same. Love that book. I've listened to it on tape like four or five times, even have a Dharma bum tattoo. So, all right, everyone. Thank you so much. This was wonderful. Um, thank you to all the kindly questions and comments. We will be connecting again soon. Satnam.